So this is Psalm chapter 19 from the director of music, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In recent days, our nation has been reminded of the sacrifice of uh, so many soldiers, sailors and airmen involved in the D-Day landings uh, some 75 years ago. From this and other countries around the world. And this event had a significant impact uh, during World War II. And of all the dignitaries who attended this special anniversary, there was none more prominent than Her Majesty the Queen. The Queen remembers the war. She was actually part of it. She took part in it. Uh, and so she has a unique bond uh, with the veterans who were able to attend on that day. And the Queen is probably the most recognised monarch in the world today, probably even the most recognised person. Everyone knows who she is. Her glory, her splendour, her majesty is displayed in so many ways around the world in royal events, such as royal weddings, royal tours, at regular events here like Troop in the Colour. We've got the stately castle of uh, Windsor Castle and most famously Buckingham Palace. But very few people actually know the Queen. It's a very rare thing for a normal person to say they have actually met the Queen. It may be there are some people here who have actually met the Queen. And I'm sure that was a great privilege and a great honour. But what is she really like? What does she like? What does she hate? What does she think? The only people who would really know that are those who have her own family, who have a relationship with her, her husband, her children, her grandchildren, and wider family. So having knowledge 
of the Queen, someone that we all recognise and we all know to a certain degree, is not the same thing as knowing the Queen, who she is. It's not the same thing as having a relationship with the Queen. And the psalm before us this morning has a similar theme. It speaks about how people can have a knowledge of God, but not know him. It also speaks to us about the fact that God made it possible for us to know him. We have been thinking about what God is like over recent weeks. God's attributes, his qualities such as his justice, his sovereignty, his holiness, and others. And this morning, we're going to be thinking briefly about the righteousness of God and how it is revealed in the psalm before us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 19. This is a psalm penned by King David. It says, for the director of music, It was, in effect, a hymn that would be sung in the worship of God in the temple. And the psalm splits into two parts, verses 1 to 6 and verses 7 to 14. So 1 to 6 is our first heading, the God who speaks to us through his world. I call this the silent witness. The point of the first six verses of the psalm are that the heavenly bodies themselves are objective proof that a powerful, creative God actually exists. The heavens are God's preachers in the sky. They proclaim 24 hours a day the truth that God exists. The first two verses tell us this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The opening verse of this psalm shows us that the physical world and and the universe testifies to the very existence of God. And in particular, King David speaks about the heavens and the sky. Now the sky, we can all see the sky if you look out the window now, is characterised by the sun and light. But at night time, it's characterised by the, the light of the moon and the stars. Both of these things are the work of God's hands. But why did God choose these things to reveal to every human being that he exists? Why the heavens and the sky? Is it not because these elements in nature can be seen by all men and women everywhere? Wherever we are in the world or on this planet, even in outer space, we cannot fail to see the beauty and the wonder of the natural world. Its beautiful sunsets, its powerful storms and lightning bolts. The sun as it brings its light and warmth to our world. And the vastness of the sky at night, filled with stars and distant planets. The psalmist says that the creation speaks, and yet they use no words. It has no voice. It's not an audible voice that we can understand. You can hear my voice, 
but the trees and the mountains and the stars and the plants, none of them speak. We don't actually hear their voice. And yet, they do speak to us. They speak in an inaudible voice into our hearts, to our intuition. The Bible is very clear about this, that the creation of God is a clear indicator that he exists and that everybody can see it, everybody is aware of it. The Apostle Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 1 where he says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So it's clear. And in this psalm, these first few verses, God has given a special praise to the Son. In verse uh, 5, at the end of verse 4, beginning of verse 5, and on to 6. He has made a place for it. He has set it a course. Nothing in God's creation is deprived of its warmth. And in fact, it is the focal point of our solar system, is it not? There is nothing on this planet that would survive without the warmth and the light of the sun. It dominates life here on planet Earth. But King David then moves from the vastness of space, from the macrocosm, if you like, to the microcosm. He moves from the universe and all its glory to the individual, from the heavens to an individual. You see, God's glory in a general sense reveals his existence, but it doesn't tell us what he is like or how we can relate to him. So just as there is no life on earth without the sun, there can be no spiritual life for the human soul without the word of God revealing truth to our hearts and minds. So we have seen that God speaks to us through his world, but now God speaks to us through his word. Just as creation tells us of God's existence, it's only in the scriptures, the Bible, in all its entirety, that reveals to us who God is and of how we can know him. Look at me, please, verses 7 to 9 that Dave just read to us. The first thing that we are made aware of in these uh, few verses that this is a divine word. Verses 7 to 9, this is a divine word. The words are written by King David as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do. But the author is God himself. Six times you see this refrain, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord. King David is making it clear to us 
that this is God speaking. These are his words to his people and to mankind. Now, this is vitally important for us as Christians, and this is where we must always start. We believe that the words of this book are the very words of God to mankind. The Bible that you have on your lap, the messages that you have on your phone or your laptop as you, sh- as you look at the Bible, this is the most important thing. This is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God here in uh, these verses has been described in various ways. David, obvious, David is obviously thinking about the, the Torah, the law of Moses, because this was written um, long before Jesus was born. So it's only really the first five books of the Bible that David is referring to. But we can say that when it speaks about the law and when it describes God's word in these verses, it is speaking in its entirety about all of Scripture, about the whole of God's word. If you get a chance this week, turn to Psalm 119 which really expands on these themes in much greater depth. It's a great psalm to read, and I really would encourage you to do it. But all of this book is the law of God. All of the scriptures are God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the first thing we see is that this book, this law, is divine. It's the divine word of God to us this morning. And the first way it is described is described as law. The law of the Lord is perfect, verse 7. Now, when you hear the word law, what immediately comes into your head? What do you think about when someone says the word law? Don't answer me. Uh, I certainly, I know that I think of consequence. I think of speeding, driving my car too fast. You see, when we think of law, the word law, we we always think about it in a sort of negative sense, in the sense that we might be caught out. Um, And as Dave really brilliantly sort of said this morning, um, we all know that we need law. If we don't have law, we have anarchy, and no one likes to live uh, in a country where where that's the case. See, laws are established by governments, are they not, so that we can live in a peaceful and ordered society. Where there is no law, there is anarchy, there is wickedness. See, we recognise, do we not, that the law is good. And if we are law-abiding citizens, we have nothing to fear. But the law makes us aware of wrongdoing and the consequences should we break the law. The law, when it was originally given to, God, uh, given to God's people by Moses, was divine instruction. 
And it was instruction on how do we live. How, how can God's people live in such a way that it pleases a righteous God? And the people were to reflect God's character in how they live because the law is perfect as God is perfect. But one of the things about the law it is like a mirror. Have you ever looked in the mirror? Do you like what you see? Mirrors are great, aren't they? They really show us exactly they show us exactly what we should see, maybe not what we want to see. And the word of God is like a mirror. It looks right into the heart of man and it shows us what we need to see, not necessarily what we want to see. You see, the law in the Old Testament was a way that it showed the people when they displeased God. That was one of its purposes. It didn't make the people righteous, but it showed their unrighteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Righteousness is always linked to behaviour. If you say a person is righteous... What you're actually saying is that his actions are righteous. If you say a person is kind, what you're actually saying is that person has shown kindness. If you say a person is generous, he's shown generosity. If you say a person is hospitable, it means that he's shown hospitality. So the law and righteousness... It remind us that righteousness is something that we must do. It will be seen in our actions, in our behaviour. Now this is very important when we think about the righteousness of God. Psalm 119 verse 37 says this, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Again in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, describing God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. But when we speak about God is righteous, we are saying that God in and of himself, in his own character, is righteous God doesn't have to meet any standard. He is the standard. He is the righteous God. He is perfect in every way. Perfect in holiness. Perfect in justice. Everything about the character of God is perfect. So when we talk about righteousness in relation to God, we are saying that God is righteousness. God is righteous. And his righteousness is reflected in his laws, as we see in the psalm here, his character. 
So we have the perfect law, the divine word and the perfect word. Now King David then describes to us the benefits for those who live by this word. It is in a sense a picture of what a righteous life looks like. Now it's very important to understand this. This psalm was written to God's people. They were, they were already God's people. God had already showed his love to them. He brought them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. This was God's people. So God is speaking in a sense here to Christians as he's speaking to us this morning. He's saying, this is how you should live. This is not how you become righteous, but this is how you should live. And we can live, we can aim to live a righteous life, a life that pleases God. So let's look at these verses. And as I said before, when we look at uh, the law of the Lord and all the other descriptions it's, it's been given, the statutes, the precepts, it's as if we're looking at a great picture, a great landscape, a great painting. We have to look at it in its entirety to see its true beauty. And King David wants us to see God's word in such a way. So in these few verses, it sort of tells us um, about the word of God and how it relates to us and how we can live by it. So the first thing that strikes us, obviously, is verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. As I've said uh, before, uh, when David wrote this, he was thinking of the Torah, the law of Moses, but we can, we can include this to mean all of God's word. But the Torah would really meant instruction. So these, uh, this, the law was divine instruction. It's an instruction on how to live, how to walk a right path through life. It gives us direction. It gives us guidance by which men are taught the knowledge of God and how to live in accordance with his law. And that instruction is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The meaning here of perfect is, is completeness. Um, like a perfect diamond, you wouldn't, if you saw a perfect diamond, you wouldn't do anything to it. It doesn't need to have anything added to it or anything taken away. It, it is lacking in nothing. And God's word is perfect. It lacks absolutely nothing. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing needs to be taken away from it. In every way, its instruction is perfect. It's a complete revelation of God to mankind of how we should live in relation to our creator, our fellow man in this world. There is nothing in God's word that leads us into error. And there is nothing in God's word that is essential for man to know that cannot be found in the Holy Scriptures. But the primary aim of God's word in verse 7, and really want to just focus on this mainly, is that it refers, and many, you'll have different versions here. It says in my version, uh, it refreshes the soul. In other versions, it will say revive, uh, another, or restore, or convert. And the point it's making there, that is just as there can be no life on earth without the sun, 
There can be no life in the inward man without, in the soul, without the transforming power of the Word of God. The Word of God brings life to your soul. It brings a person back to his Creator. It restores the broken relationships that we have with God because of our sin. This is the glory of God's perfect law as its teaching is applied to our hearts. We are brought back to God. This is the primary purpose of God's word. It is to bring us life. But God's word not only reveals to us um, this fact, it reveals other facts to us as well. So God's word reveals to us that it, it, it brings us life and previously it revealed to us that we have a problem, but it also has a solution. So God's word shows us our problem, but it provides us with the solution. The word of God brings life. It restores the soul. And secondly, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make the simple wise. This is referring to God's written word, the scriptures. And the word of God is a sure and solid foundation of divine truth. It gives us a sure direction for life and a certain hope for our future. Psalm 119 verse 60. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. And it makes us wise. It says here, uh, making wise the simple. It's not a great way of describing it. Um, when it says simple, it doesn't mean that we are uh, stupid or of low intelligence. It's not talking about that. It's really talking about um, uh, an attitude of heart and mind, but it's really talking about a humble person, a person who can be, who can be taught, who is not wise in their own eyes. So that Anybody who listens to this word, regardless of your status in society, regardless of whether you're considered wise or powerful, anybody who listens to this word becomes wise. This is God's wisdom. Because the gospel, the word of God, as we know, is regarded as foolishness to the world. It's not regarded as wisdom, but God's word makes us wise. It makes us wise to eternal life. It makes us wise in the sense that we recognize that we see the creation of God and we acknowledge that God exists. It brings us into relationship with the creator. The unwise person just looks at the creation and doesn't see God, doesn't see God at all. So the word of God can make us wise to salvation. And the, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The eyes of our mind are enlightened by God's word as we walk through life. His word is a light. It gives us direction. 
and it brings, when we follow it, it brings great joy to our hearts. There are many people here who can testify to that fact, that as they've walked and as they've followed God's word, as they've invested in it, that it has brought joy to their hearts. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And fourthly, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. The word of God leads us to a deep fear of God, which is talking about a reverence, a sense of awe when we come into his presence. So that when we read this word, we recognize that God is speaking and we are reverent before him and humble. So what is King David's response to this great treasure? Well, David's response here in verse 10 is wonderful. He says of God's word and his commandments that they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. The word of God is his greatest treasure and his sweetest pleasure. Such a contrast from the world. When we think about what the world values, the world values gold. Uh, the world values treasure, riches, wealth. But we are, to, we are not to put our trust in those things. We are to see that the word of God is more precious than all the treasure in the world, even fine gold. And the word of God gives us the greatest pleasure. It is to be desired more than anything else. People pursue, don't they, riches and pleasure. This is the thing that drives society. My friend, do you treasure the word of God? Do you read it? Do you pray about it? Do you think and ponder over it? This is the greatest treasure that you can possess. And by living by it, it will bring the sweetest pleasures in life. Can I encourage you to read Psalm 119, a small section every day, and ponder on God's beautiful word. But the word of God is truthful, and it doesn't hold any punches does it it doesn't hold back it tells us exactly what the state of our hearts are and king david himself recognizes this verses 12 to 13 but who can discern their own errors forgive my hidden faults keep your servant from willful sins may they not rule over me then i will be blameless innocent of great transgression King David was a man who treasured the word of God. He says here himself that there is great reward in keeping it. But he himself had the most serious lapses in his life where he didn't adhere to God's word. Uh, the most famous example uh, we read about in Psalm 51 uh, where he committed adultery and then he had 
Bathsheba's husband murdered. This was a great sin that David tried to hide. And only when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan did he repent of that and seek forgiveness. So the word of God is realistic. It, It shows us that we cannot keep God's laws. None of us are righteous because of what we do. But the wonderful thing is that the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into this world. He did live a perfect and a righteous life. And because of his righteousness, we can be made righteous. 2 Corinthians, we read these words talking about Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My friend, it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that we can be declared righteous before a loving God. God is a righteous God. And he is our God if we have put our trust in him. Let's pray.